Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, you already saw Pastor Ben, Pastor Andrew, and uh, we are glad you're here. Uh, so, we're continuing our series in um, numbers. I want to hear how your complaining went last week. Um, did you complain well? I, uh, I got to hang out with my mom this week, and we went over and saw Jeanette Gudgel. She saw her for the first time. And so they got to sit down, and Jeanette got to talk about her broken pelvis and her broken elbow. And, her bro and you know what she said? Oh, it was so great. And when I broke it, I came back to this place, and they knew what to do, and it was just so good. And it was, she was going on and on about all the good things and how things were great. It was like, great. And I, I walked four steps, and, you know, she was. So they were good examples to me of uh, complaining well this week. My mom is here, by the way, for those of you who have been praying for her, and uh, we're grateful for her being here. And uh, so we are moving on in numbers, so if you would take your pew Bible, we are gonna, you're going to need that today, because we've got chapters we're going to go through. And uh, so I want you to be ready with that. We are in Numbers 22. 22 to 25, so, so we are looking at Balaam. So now what has happened is the children of Israel, remember they wimped out, didn't have faith, didn't trust God, and so they didn't go into his promised land for them. So he said, fine, get what you want, spend it in the desert. They spent 38 years wandering in the desert until that generation died. Now the new generation has come up. They're moving into place to take the promised land. Um, they got their own taste of complaining, but they, they were moving, and as they're doing that, they're trying to go through other people's land, and uh, they're trying to go around Edom, because that's Esau, that's a brother, you know, Esau, we don't want to bother them, but the Edomites, you know, they, they weren't so cool with that. Then some other, the Amorites came and attacked them. They said, we're just passing through, but the Amorites came and attacked them. God helped them to, to overcome them, to defeat them, and so they're going around up from the side coming up to the east to Jordan. So the Dead Sea is here, the Jordan River is here. They're, they're coming around Moab to here. They, these kings attack them, and they're about to enter into Jericho. They're setting up on the plains of Moab. But Moabites, remember Moabites, these are Lot's kids, descendants, the Moabites, the Midianites, and uh, they get really nervous. Even though they're not planning to attack them, they're just planning to go across the Jordan into Jericho and, and into Canaan, um, they get really nervous. So that's where we're at in this story. So before we get into the story, I want to ask you some questions. Who and what do you fear? All right, how do you handle your fear? What do you want? For example, you want knowledge, you want control, you want protection, you want blessing, um, you want what, what kind of blessings? You want uh, food, smart kids, health, uh, life, you want uh, good job, success, what, what do you want? And how do you get what you want? So that's a lot of questions, but not really. What do you fear? What do you want? And how do you handle those fears and wants? Should you think about it? Take a minute to tell somebody next to you one of those things. 
you're afraid of floods? You're afraid of uh, what do you what do you what do you fear? Or what do you want? Tell somebody next to you. Okay, is somebody ready to tell, tell the rest of us what you fear or what you want? Snakes. snakes. You want snakes? Oh, you fear snakes. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, mice. Spiders. Yep. God, okay. Somebody else? What do you fear? What do you want? You want what? You fear drowning. Okay, so we don't want snakes drowning or, yep. Not being good enough. Okay, uh-huh. That's a good one. Spiders. You want spiders? Oh, you don't want spiders. Afraid of heights. Okay. Somebody else? Yeah. You want knowledge. Okay, good. All right, so we are going to, well, one more question. What causes suffering? Now, this is connected in this way. One of the things most of us fear is suffering. One of the things most of us want is to understand when we're suffering what's going on so that we can somehow control it and keep it away or get over it or, or solve it. Um, so there's different ways that we try to understand that, but everybody in every culture tries to understand it. So Basic ways um, of understanding it is it caused it, maybe it's a germ, maybe you caused it, you made a mistake, you sinned, it's a fallen world. Um, Job's friends say you, you caused all this. Um, another one is he or she caused it. Somebody else is doing this to you. This is injustice, this is, in, sometimes if it's in a secret way that is invisible, we might call it curses or witches are causing this or there's voodoo or black magic or some kind of evil force that someone is causing. So that's a little different than like a, a demon or a spirit causing it, but somebody, somebody here could be causing problems. That's kind of the, the idea. So, and this is a, this is a, a big deal. When I was uh, researching in Tanzania, I almost showed you a clip of some stuff from Tanzania, but... Uh, Researching in Tanzania, pretty much anytime somebody got sick or died, they wanted to know who did it. And they started looking around who might have been envious or who had some issue with me or with my kids. Or was, or, and they tried to figure out who might have caused, who might have bewitched 
them and caused through secret means. So even if something happened, you had a car accident, but why did you have a car accident? I've driven on that road lots of times and never had a car accident. How come this day I had a car accident? So one of the explanations of that is, well, they're witchcraft. And then you start trying to figure out who, who caused it. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that's what we do. That's what I grew up with. Some of you are thinking, I, really? I haven't heard of that. Um, and we come from different places, different, but, but at the same time, there's a lot of different versions of this. And it's surprising how many places it crops up that uh, this is the case. Some people talk about ancestral curses and, and uh, how you should break the curses. And some, sometimes spiritual warfare stuff gets into not just spirits, but people causing things. And, and so what does the Bible say about that? So after I collected all this and realized that people who understood things this way were making a very logical choice, there was a lot of, they told hundreds of stories that I heard about how this happened, how this was obvious because of that, and it, it made sense. Um, so I thought, well, I, I don't know. Is this, is this what it is? So, we got, so I said, well, we've got to go back to Scripture to see what, is, what does the Bible teach? Does the Bible teach that curses happen like that? Now, well, of course, we see, we just saw last week, Moses announced God's curse. He said, if these people die a normal death, then God hasn't sent me. But if the ground opens up and swallows them, then God's, God's the one who chose me and not them. Sure enough, the ground opened up and swallowed them. That was a, a kind of a curse, but actually announcing God's judgment on these people who were rebelling. Right? And the same thing happened in Egypt with the plagues. Um, Paul and Elymas, there's a goes blind. So Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira, they announce God's judgment on someone. So it's a, it's a God's power revealed when God's spokesman says this is going to happen. God gave life. God's going to take life away. So that's a curse. But what about somebody who's evil? Could an evil person cause harm to someone through an invisible means or by sending a spirit or some kind of magic or something like that? So one of the closest scriptures we have to that is this story of Balaam. Now, I want to know, uh, first of all, I'm gonna, we're going to head into that story, so I want my actors to come up, my uh, Bible readers. Um, but I want to ask, how many have you, have you have heard a story about a sermon on Balaam? Okay, good. I had never heard one until I went to Tanzania, and then there was a lot of stories on Balaam, a lot of preaching on Balaam. So, all right, we, uh, <clears throat> we have our, our cast of characters here. So, you got your Bibles open? Get your Bibles open so you can follow along. Page 112, Page 112 in the Pew Bible. Oh, and we need some mics. There's another one there. All right. You guys can guess who these people are until they're introduced here. Here you go. Uh, it's red. There we go. All right. Okay. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab. You guys all get to be the Israelites, all right? You, this, this, you guys are all spread out on the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. 
Now Balak, son of Zippor, uh-huh, there's Balak, saw all Israel that all that Israel had done to the Amorites in defeating him, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. So we know what Moab is afraid of. And the, then the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Bethor near the river in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of the Egypt. The, they cover the face of the land, and they settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you are, that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. Now, does that sound familiar? Those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed? Anybody know where you remember it from? The promise to Abraham, right? God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So is God the one who that's true of, or is Balaam, this famous diviner, the one who that's true of? Now, Balaam is the best diviner out there, okay? He is the best. He, in fact, we have records of curses he gave from archaeological evidence that he was so good, in fact, so good that the king sends him 400 miles walk, these messengers go, to Mesopotamia, to Babylon, to get this the very best that could be. So this is, I mean, we're talking... Whoever, whatever president, whatever moguls pays as much as they can to find the best person in the whole world, sends messengers and says, I will pay you anything to take care of this. I figured out that my military is not enough, so I need some backing with spiritual forces and my military to defeat these people. All right? So he goes to Balaam, the best in the business. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee. Yes, yes, a fee for divination. Everybody knows diviners want a fee. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. All right, thanks, buddy. Okay, you can spend the night right here, and uh, I'll get back to you a little bit. So he says he's going to go talk to Yahweh, actually. God came to Balaam and asked. Oh, no, you come, come, Kate, take a mic here. Who are these men with you? Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Ah, so God's blessing them, so he says don't put a curse on them, all right? The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princess, go All right, uh, go, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let you go with them. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, 
He said no. That's what they said. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, said. Do not, Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. So he sends more distinguished people. He says, I guess I didn't give him enough honor. I need to send the vice president and the secretary of state, and uh, I need to send the best so he feels honored as well as clearly I can reward him. So he sends back and says, please, I'll pay you handsomely. So Balak answers. Well, this is what Balak, son of Zephor, says. Oh, crap. I said the wrong thing. All right. He doesn't say crap. doesn't say crap. Sorry. Balaam crap, answered, crap verse, eight, in, verse 18. Okay. All right. Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could, do any, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the commandment of the Lord God. Now stay here tonight. And with as the other people did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Okay. Now, we got a question here. So this is this pagan diviner from Babylon, and he's saying, let me ask Yahweh. And he's saying, let me ask Yahweh my God, even, what, what he wants to do. So is Balaam a follower of Yahweh? Is he a Christian? I mean, obviously, that can't be a Christian yet, but is he a follower of Yahweh? Is he's, now, the, the uh, narrator gives us a little clue. The narrator never says Yahweh told him. The narrator says God told him. So the narrator's not quite buying it, even though Balaam is claiming, I'm a Yahweh, my God, right? So, okay, well, let's see what, we're not really sure what's happening here. Is with Balaam. Is what kind of guy is he? He's a follower of Yahweh. He's a prophet of Yahweh. Okay, so Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey. All right, we got a donkey. And went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of Yahweh stood in the road to oppose him. Oh wow, weaponry. Um, Balaam was riding on his donkey, and the two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with a drawn sword, or whatever that is, in his hand, he turned off the road and into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Okay, then the angel of Yahweh stood in the narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of Yahweh moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then Yahweh opened the donkey's mouth. He needs a mic. Give the donkey a mic. <laughs> and he said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me? Yeah. Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? <laughs> then Yahweh opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the road with his sword drawn, so he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of Yahweh asked him, Mike, Mike, angel. 
So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, okay, what is going on here? Donkeys talking? Um, this is getting weird, right? So you guys did it appropriately. You laughed at all the right places. Keep in mind, Balaam is the most famous seer of all. And the seer can't see anything. He's blind. He's a diviner. He should know when the chicken runs that way, it means the thunderstorm is coming. And when the, he should be able to figure out from animal behaviors what's happening next. But he doesn't figure out anything. The angel Lord is right there, and he, wow, he's really insightful, isn't he? So he's a blind seer, and this whole story is mocking him that he can't tell what the angels are doing, he can't tell what his donkey's doing until the donkey says, hey, you know what? Stop beating me. So good, good, good laugh lines. All right. So now we're, we have arrived 400 miles later. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Presidents are kind of that way. They get touchy when you don't come, when they tell them. Okay. You know, I want you to notice, over and over, this theme comes up where Balak says, well, I can only say what God says. I'm sorry, I can only say what God says. Go, okay, go, but only say what I'm going to tell you. That is the point. That Balaam, with all of his attempts to manipulate God, all of Balak's attempts to manipulate God into all this, actually, he can only say what God lets him say. So, we're going to find out what God's going to do and what they're going to do. So they had this huge feast. They sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. Go so come on up on the, on the hills here. And from there, he saw part of the people. Balaam said, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam said, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So, I mean, this is, this is amazing, impressive stuff here. Now, the Israelites only had one altar, and this is the most valuable animal, seven of each, slaughtered. So either to really get God, really trying to bribe God to do what they want, or maybe also to read the livers, because Balaam's a good diviner. He should be able to read the livers and figure out what's really going on. So he's got all of these livers to deal with. Well, he's going to have lots of content. Um, so lots of data in those livers, and so he is ready now. So he went, and he's going to say, okay. All right, stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Seven and times seven, and perhaps he'll meet with you? Okay, well, all right. So God met with him, and Balaam said, I have prepared seven I have prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. God needs a mic. <laughs> All right. Balak brought me from Armon, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. 
How can I curse those who God has not cursed? How can I denounce those who the Lord has not denounced? That is a good question. From the rocky peaks I see them, from the heights I view them, I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and may my end be like theirs. What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. Must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Come ah. with me to another place where you can see them. You will only see you you will see only a part, but not all of them. And from there, curse them for me. Okay, so they go someplace else. Another vantage point, and uh, you see, the point is, he's actually prophesying. He's giving you, you're going to be like the dust. Remember, God said that you'd be like the dust of the earth. So many and that you would be blessed. And he says he even wants to die like them because their death is going to be better and their life after death is going to be better. We'll see if Balaam actually goes for that. Does he join them? Okay. He leaves them there. He goes back, looks for another message. What does the Lord say? So what did the Lord say to him? Kill people first. Oh, he didn't do these sacrifices yet? Get busy with that sacrifice. We got a lot of animals to kill, 21 of each kind here, so. All right. All right, stay here, be- stay here beside your offering while I meet with him over there. Okay. And then it says, then he uttered his oracle. I want you to notice that it says he uttered his oracle. It's an oracle from a diviner, not a prophecy from a prophet of God. Here's another hint from the narrator that Balaam is not really a prophet of Yahweh. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zephor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a commandment to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. You see that? God promised a long time ago that he was going to bless Israel, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them got this promise. God's not changing his mind now, even though they're kind of a, they're kind of a pain, these Israelites. God has still purposed that he is going to bless his people, and he's going to do it. And even this super powerful Balaam, trying as hard as he can to curse, trying as hard as they can with all their wealth and sacrifices, haven't changed God's mind. So, continue. No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt, and they have the strength of a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob, no divination against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till he devours his prey and drinks the blood of his victims. So this is a super important, in Tanzania, this is super important, that there is no divination, there is no witchcraft, there is no magic. So NLT says there is no curse that can touch them. It's actually a word for snake. No snake, that can, no magic that has any power. 
There's no magic, there's no curse, there's no witchcraft, there's no anything that can touch these people because God has not planned it. And in the midst of them, remember the Egyptian army would fan out and they put the king right in the middle, who was kind of like a god. But Yahweh himself is in the midst of y'all, this people of God. He's in the midst of them and they cannot be touched because no matter what he does, God has determined to bless them, and God is in their midst, the king. This is the first time God is called king, but in Balaam is the first one to say it. The king is in the middle of these people. There is no touching them. They're, they're more like a lioness ready to devour its prey. And he's not too happy. Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. Did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? Yep, you don't have much choice. Let me take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them for me from there. Okay, he's building some more altars. We need some more animals. We've got seven more rams, seven more bulls. Okay. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination or sorcery as the other times. He didn't bother with, with divination. He just turned his face toward the desert. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel and y'all and camped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came upon him and he uttered his oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of those who, of whose eyes see clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and, who, and whose eyes are open. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling place, O Israel, like valleys that spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets, their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag, their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt, they have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces, and their arrows they pierce them. Like a lion they crouch and lie down, like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those, who be, may those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh-huh. I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Now I leave at once, and now you leave at once, and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I am going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes sees clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Seth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will go, grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Okay. Thank you for our actors. 
Good job. Isn't that great? We have some fun youth and some good actors. All right. So you guys have gotten the picture. This is a comedy. It's a tragedy. It's a serious what's going to happen. Um, this is the most famous, powerful diviner. What's going to happen with him? And so the central idea I want you to get out of this, the central idea of this whole passage is that Yahweh is going to fulfill his purpose, his promise, to bless his people no matter what their most powerful enemies try, including rich kings with armies and the world's most famous diviner of the day who's an expert in curses. Nothing is going to happen that God is not going to... You know, right? God's going to do it. He's promised those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. They, y'all out here don't have anything to be afraid of. God's plan is to bless you. No matter what is happening up on the mountain, no matter who is doing whatever, you don't have to find out, get a diviner to tell you what the deal is, get a prophet to who, who might be cursing me. You don't have to be concerned if you're in with the people of God. The other thing is that God will not be manip manipulated into our plan, but invites us into God's plan. A lot of us, try different ways to ma manipulate God into doing what we want. Fasting, saying the name of Jesus loud enough and long enough and many enough times, doing the, going to the right prophet who's really got it down, who can really tell us the what's going to happen, um, giving our tithes, doing, somehow, can we manipulate God to do what we want? No. He's not really in that business. But he has a plan, and he has a purpose to bless you. You can get into his plan. Balaam has a hint here. He says, oh, I wish I could die the death of the righteous. Get a clue, Balaam. Join him. You know, Lot moved off away from Abraham. Moab could just join here. Do you remember... Later on, there's this going to be a lot of bad blood here coming up with the Moabites. Later on, we find out that there's this woman, Ruth, who's a Moabite woman, and she gets in on the plan. She joins. But let, that's, that's getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Um, so the application, I want you to get this point. Do not fear and do not try to manipulate to get your way. You don't need to. If you fear God and follow his plan. So you can receive his promise. We have been told that we can get in on God's promise. Right? This promise to Abraham was for, we're told in the New Testament, Christ, his seed, so that we could, those who join Christ, can inherit that promise. All of us who follow God. If you fear God and follow his plan, you don't have to fear anything else. You can receive his promise. Isn't that amazing? And after all, his promise is to bless all nations. doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is. Moab, Moab and the Moabites are not excluded if they just include themselves in following Yahweh. But instead, they choose to fight his will, and that's kind of a bad proposition. So why suffering? That's the question we were asking earlier, right? Well, suffering is because of sin. 
and Satan, not sorcerers. Now, where do I get that from? I'm going to back up here. Because we need to read on. Verse chapter 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their God. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Yahweh said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Yahweh, so that Yahweh's fierce anger may turn from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your men who have been joined in worshiping. Then, right while they're having this discussion, an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the temple of the meeting for all that's happening. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear into the tent in his hand, followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. So, now, whenever I hear stories of witchcraft, whenever I say, well, I don't know if there's witchcraft or not, people tell me a story. And there's lots of stories out there for lots of different things about the power of voodoo, about the power of science, about the power of witchcraft. But you've got to have the whole story. If you looked at this, you, you could tell the story this way. Balak got the most famous diviner of all. He traveled 400 miles. He paid him all this money. They killed 21 animals of each type. And then he spoke. And then 24,000 people died. Right? Connect the dots. Right? You could tell that way that would make sense. But we have more information that you can't leave out. The information is that you all were safe. God was wanting to bless you. God had plans for you. He wanted to curse you. And you all, God's people, said, you know, there's this thing I've heard about over here. Lots of good food. Lots of fun. Uh, blessing. Prosperity. I heard this God's pretty good. And you all went outside the camp where you were protected and went to seek blessing, prosperity, protection, fun, sex over there. And what happened? Disaster and death. And this is what happened. Okay, well, in Tanzania, this happens a lot. People get really sick and they start wondering, well, you know, I prayed about it, and I went to the hospital, and they didn't really know what, so I've got to go find some other resources. And that happens for lots of us. Now, we can say, I, you know, whatever, you know, diviners, I, that's not a big thing for me, but you all have the same kind of thing. So is there going to be a recession this year or not? I hear there is. We're listening to our prophets. Is there going to be a recession? What should I do about it? Where should I put my investments? Wait, what about my job? Um, we're trying to find out what's going to happen, right? We have our own prophets and diviners and ways of, of finding these things out and ways of trying to get control and ways of getting enough insurance and ways of whatever. <clears throat> we have our ways of trying to control things. And sometimes those other things become 
other gods, right? Sometimes when we get sick, we talked about last time, we run to the hospital, run to the doctor, please save me. We haven't even prayed about it yet. And we're seeking other sources. And the big problem was not just the adultery, but the adultery with other gods, the idolatry that happened, that we're seeking other ways to do things. So these people are safe, they are blessed, but they end up dead. Why? Sin. Idolatry. It's not about the sorcerers, it's not, in this case, about Satan. Now, Satan does cause some problems. Suffering is from sin and Satan, mostly sin. Mostly that gives opportunity to Satan when we believe the deceptions. It's not about witches, curses, sorcerers. Um, now, so this is the closest the Bible comes to there being a witch or a curse or whatever is effective from an evil person. Now, we just said that Moses, other people are representing God who holds life, who holds blessing, who holds... That's the whole point of the story, right? God's got all the blessing and curses in his hand. But as far as an evil person doing something, this is the closest we get. And how much does he get done? Nothing. Now, could he have done it if he was doing it against Egyptians or other pagans or people back? We don't know. The Bible doesn't answer that question. But you don't have to worry about that question. If you really follow God, you are protected, blessed. He's going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You get what? Are you following me? You don't have to worry about curses or witches or what might be happening that you don't know about because you are following God who has a plan to bless you, to make you a blessing, to make you a blessing to all nations. Stay in the people of God. Don't run off someplace else. Now, a lot of us aren't that impressed with the church, right? It's, well, the church, you know, it's... And, you know, a part of that reason is because, because the church has grown all these things, which we've, you know, like universities, all the universities around here, the hospitals, they... they and then we've cut them off and put them in another vase over here. And the, the, what's left doesn't look all that impressive because we, we put, you know, McAllister and Hamlin and Carleton and, and uh, St. Kate's and St. Thomas. We put them all over here. And then we put all the hospitals, we put them all over here. And we took the welfare program, we put them all over here. And we're putting all the water and fertilizer on the vase with the cut flowers. But the root is actually in the church where Jesus is still. <laughs> and... So, um, anyway, so why suffering? This is not working. There we go. What's the solution for suffering? The solution is our Savior, Jesus, who suffered and now is sovereign. And he's in the midst of his church. Now, it's true that we're in the time between the times where Jesus has conquered, but he's coming. To conquer, right? He's conquered death, but it's not done. So we can say, well, how come there's still stuff not going on? Well, it's going to be taken care of. He's sovereign. He's going to take care of it. 
they were going to get to the promised land. They were on their way, um, and God had a plan for them, and he was not going to stop his plan. Now, what's the rest of the story? The rest of the story we find in Numbers 31. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. Verse 7. They fought against Midian as Yahweh commanded Moses and killed every man. Among their victims were, and they list the names, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. He was wanting to die the death of the righteous, but he didn't join the righteous. So he got killed. The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. If you go down a little bit to verse 15, Moses gets upset. He said, have you allowed all the women to live? Moses asked them, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peoria incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now kill all the boys and kill every woman who has slept with a man. So there was another little piece of the story. It was Balaam who was still trying to find a way to get his money who said, well, here's another thing you could try. I was unsuccessful. I have no power. I can only do what God lets me do. But you could try this. And sure enough, it worked. See, we're safe if we're not sinning. We're safe if we're staying with God, following God in the people of God. But sometimes we want something else over there, or we get scared. And we say, oh, now I'm really sick and I'm really having trouble. And so we run off to try to get something someplace else. And then we're not safe anymore. Because we're mixing gods. We're mixing sources of protection. So let me go back to the application. You don't need to fear. Don't try to manipulate or get your way. Because you don't need to. Why? If you fear God and follow his plan, you can receive his promise. Remember, they get really upset about these Moabite women. They, the Moabites have a bad reputation from now on because of what they did with that. And the Moabite women especially. So it's really amazing that this Moabite woman, Ruth, decides to follow and be loyal to Naomi and join Yahweh and follow their law and gets married into the clan and the justice works the way it's supposed to. And she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. She gets grafted into the promise. Listen, if you're here and you're like, I don't know about these people. They're kind of weird. And uh, I don't know if I want to be part of this. I don't know if I want to do God's thing. I don't know about that. Hey, come on in. There's a promise that we're headed for. We may not look that impressive. You may hear us complaining and whining and doing other things. And we're, we're not all that impressive, but God's got a promise that he's going to fulfill, that he has figured out, and God is going to do it even with people like us. So come on. Join him. Follow Jesus. So, but you know what this continued this problem. So Balaam is brought up many, several other times throughout Scripture, and he's never brought up as a prophet of Yahweh. He's always brought up as a bad example. 
And you know who Balaam's real God was? Money. Because when it came right down to it, he knew what God wanted, but what God wanted wasn't really what he wanted. It wasn't enough to do what God wanted. He also wanted that money and that honor that was being promised. So 1 Peter 2 says this, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false, false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Now that was happening in New Testament times. Is it happening today? Any destructive heresies out there? Anybody promising that they'll be able to manipulate God to get you what you want? That if you just do things this way, it'll be taken care of? That if you just give them some money, they'll, they'll, they'll know how to get God to do what you... And they're bringing the truth into disrepute. But there's still truth. There's still power, real power, when we're following God instead of trying to manipulate God to do our thing. It goes on and says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. I told you it's always about stories. There's always these stories. Sometimes they leave out little bits. Maybe it's a true story with just a little bit left out. Um, fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So he's saying, they may look impressive right now, but watch out. They may have their millions right now in their, um, whatever, Cadillacs and Jets and big, whatever, but it's coming. Don't be overawed or impressed. With eyes full of adultery, they never, this is a little bit later, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed. And a cursed brood, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. So what did Balaam want? Money. He wanted, he was greedy. We'd say he was a hyena in uh, Tanzanian stories. Um, he could never have enough. And greed has a way of uh, continuing, even to our day. Even in the church. Even among preachers and pastors and prophets and prophetesses. There can be some greed. God is not in the business of making you rich. He is in the business of blessing you with everything you need, including money. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants you to follow him. He's got so much for you if you will follow him. So our point, do not fear. The worship team would come. Do not try to manipulate to get your way. And you don't need to. If you follow God's plan and you fear God, fear God, follow his plan so that you can receive his promise. Folks, we have Yahweh in our midst. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Yahweh is in our midst. We are going to come to the table where Jesus is present. We're going to eat together. And 
And I want, I want to just put, I, I, I looked at a, an old uh, teaching of my dad's I'd taken some notes on. He was emphasizing over and over again how the church is where God is speaking. The church is where God is showing to the divine, uh, for the powers and principalities, his wisdom. The church is where God is, where God's body, this is where God is at. And you know, we reacted to the Catholic church being a little corrupt 500 years ago, maybe a lot corrupt, and we went way off into saying, you know, it's just about you and your spirituality. I mean, that's the extreme, right? Um, just your spirituality. When people say spirituality, they don't really recognize there's a lot of spirits out there. And uh, it's not about manipulating and getting your spirituality. It's not even about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ alone. We want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But you can't be part of the family and have Jesus as your brother and God as your father and not have me as your brother. Sorry. And some sisters around here, some brothers around here, and you may think we are not that impressive. And you're not sure you want to be part of our family, but that's kind of the way it is. Um, we're kind of stuck with this family. Even with the whining and complaining, and Moses was kind of stuck with the family, even as, even, uh, we're, we're in this family, and God has good plans for us. This local church, other churches here and around the world, God is doing something. It might not seem impressive to you, but what I want you to notice is the Israelites are complaining about everything that's going on. You know, our leaders and this stuff, and how come we don't have enough to eat, and right? And the people on the outside are going, God is with them. You see what's happening there? We've got to be careful. Watch out. Right? God's doing stuff we don't even see. Sometimes other people see it better than we do. Sometimes they don't. But um, God wants to do something amazing in us. Let's pray with the, with the people who are going to serve communion. Come on up. Lord, we thank you that you have a promise that you're going to fulfill. And you're going to curse those who curse us. We don't have to worry about that. You're going to protect us. Thank you that after all these years, you still have a people with all of the fickleness and sinfulness and complaining of your people. You have still got a people. The Moabites are gone and the, you know, a lot of these other nations are no more. But your people are continuing because you made a promise and you're still fulfilling that promise. You're still going to bring us to a promised land that's going to be amazing. We're going to have a new earth, new bodies, and you gave yourself to deal with the suffering, the death, the sin that's in our way. You made a way to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong. We thank you that we can come to this table that you prepared that we can participate in the sacrifice that you gave. We are so grateful. We are so grateful. Thank you, Jesus.